This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What's up everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Only Friends Podcast. It's just me, the tortoise, and El Guapo today. That's it. We can't forget about Chauncey. May the 4th be with you. Oh, today May 4th? Yeah. That's so stupid. (laughs) Cinco de Mayo tomorrow. Cinco de Mayo tomorrow. I think last year you guys had a party, right? I don't know, man, but Cinco de Mayo seems like way more fun than May the 4th be with you. We did? What did we do? Um, I don't know, but I'm almost certain you had a party. Hmm. Where where are we going? What Margaritas and tacos? Uh, sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. Wow, Cinco de Mayo on a Friday. That yeah, seems like, like works out nice. Debauchery. Perfect, right? If we can go somewhere and get some pulled pork, I'm in. Mm. Or we can. I like pulled pork. Delicious. Dude. In case anybody was wondering what my meat of choice is. That's, that's where <laughs> we're at right now. Uh, we have a big show for everyone today. Uh, it's, it's basically going to be a two-part episode. We only have two major topics. First and foremost, obviously, we're going to discuss uh, the Phil Gelfond statement with regards to what's been happening in the industry lately uh, with regards to Doug Polk and others. Uh, And then secondarily, we're going to bring to light a bit of, um, I don't want to call it a cheating scandal. That's not very fair. Uh, Let's call it an ethical dilemma of sorts that took place uh, kind of, kind of... In the shadows, if you will, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit as we dig in. But you know, there are a lot of sub communities to this to this game, and we're not all tapped into all of them. It's impossible to be. So um, a lot of this stuff kind of flies under the radar. The media doesn't really get a hold of it. But being a part of Discord groups uh, and allowing yourself to have a little bit more of a, an ear to the ground, so to speak, of what's happening in the the community at large brings these stories to light so uh big shout out to all the discord groups out there ours included which uh initially brought this uh story across my desk uh for anybody interested in joining that community you can just hit pound discord or maybe it's exclamation point discord in the chat and you'll get oh my god come on chauncey (laughs) you'll get a uh a link jesus christ man Come on, we're trying to work here, kid. Just tearing you to shreds over there. But it's not even that. He's like trying to take the cord off my mic or mm-hmm. my my headphones. Like, come on, we got a show to do, kid. Come yeah. on. God doesn't get enough attention, you know. Um, all right, so let's let's kick off with last night. Last night got man, these Twitter spaces have been lit, to say the least. Like, uh, I think Dankness's space had. 1200 people concurrent yeah. for mm-hmm. many 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 hours i think over eleven thousand. yeah i think total. that's more impressive the fact that it went so long versus how many people were actually in the space yeah like, for people to be tuned in for that long says a lot mm-hmm. i mean we see it all the time right when joey would do these investigation uh, investigation streams we're up all night 24 hour streams yeah. with like yeah, 2k fair. people mm-hmm. watching concurrent like yeah. everybody's here for it man they love it um <clears throat> and then keating took over i w- i'd gone to bed i couldn't I couldn't make it, man. But I guess Keating took over. He also had like 1,500 or 2,000 people watching something along those lines. Uh, It was going when we woke up this morning. Yeah, that's when I tuned in. He had had 2,100 at like 6 o'clock in the morning. All right, fill me in. What did you guys hear? Because I heard Airball jumped on and uh, was was talking his shit. Oh, I 
I didn't tune in. The only thing I caught was <laughs> it seemed like uh, it seemed like Keating was not real content with HCL, HCL, or maybe mm-hmm. Andrew Feldman. Um, I Ryan know, Feldman, at, or sorry, Ryan yeah. Feldman. Um, I know at one point he said that. Um, I'm paraphrasing here, but he was getting some pushback and that it was falling on deaf ears as far as getting more security for the uh, million dollar cash game. Wow. Mm-hmm. Shocker. So, yeah. yeah. Color me surprised. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I heard that uh, we, we can discuss that as we go back to revisiting Dankness's space because that was a big uh, part of the conversation. Um, but I heard Airball came on and said that he's been in the lab pretty hard with Doug this week. He's going to smash me over the head. Wants to continue the challenge past 100 hours. Wants to, uh, you know, put me in a body bag and everything else. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with all of this. Uh, I will say that I do think that Airball's leaks are very glaring. And someone like Doug probably could help him quite a bit. Um, in, like, some pretty obvious areas. And uh, I'm not very good at heads up. So... These corrections could be pretty huge for him, assuming that he actually is putting in a lot of work, uh, mainly because I'm, I'm operating super, super exploitatively. So I'll have to put in a bunch of work as well, learn how to play a little bit more optimally, and uh, you know, see if we can hang on to this lead. Looking forward to getting back on the tables Saturday. Um, so what are the hours at, 50? We're at 55. 55? Okay. Yeah, so a little over halfway. We have about yep. three weeks left, or three weekends left, I should say. Um, Avi says, Matt, would you consider upping the stakes if the edge continues for you? Uh, I won't change anything to this challenge. If he wants to quit this challenge, buy out of this challenge, anything along those lines, I'm happy to renegotiate. Um, but I can tell you this, that after 100 hours, I won't commit to anything. Mm-hmm. Um I'm happy to continue to play. I'm happy to play bigger if he wants to play bigger. But like what I won't do is lock myself into some other challenge thereafter. I don't want to play airball for the rest of my life. Right. right. To, to piggyback on top of that, Veronica actually came on uh, this morning as well and asked um, airball if she'd be willing to play JMO because uh, I think I think we might have mentioned this yesterday or the mm. day before that JMO said he'd play for any stakes and he's willing to cross book with Lynn. Yeah, yeah. Um, JMO wanted them to all put up their net worth. Right. So Veronica asked him about that, <laughs> and he said after this experience that he's had with you, mm. um, he's kind of on the fence. He said he'd, <laughs> he'd probably be more into it if it was with someone that he actually got along with. Uh, that's such bullshit. Like nobody wants to play heads up versus somebody they like. It, I don't know. This it's is a what death he, sport. This is, this is what he said. So I think his days of heads up. Uh, might be just this challenge. Well, I got to tell you, Guapo, he's not very fucking good at it. So if I were him, my days of heads up would also be very limited. <laughs> I'm also not very good at it, and I don't plan on taking any, on any other heads up challenges. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just like one of those things where it doesn't make any sense. So like, yeah, you know, Doug's getting his fingers in the mix. He's taking L's all over the fucking place. I guess like the best he can hope for here is to turn Airball's life around a little bit and hitch his. Imagine that that's the W that, that Doug ends up getting out of all this. Like Airball somehow comes back wins his side beds, beats me out of like, you know, 50 or 100K or something along those lines. And Doug just out of the mist goes, that's right, baby, I'm still here. You thought you forgot about me? The Supreme Leader is back. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, what a weird... I, I, I got to tell you, if I were Doug right now, the last fucking thing that I would be doing is spending one second of my time around airball trying to get him better at heads up no limit yeah i would be fucking taking some counseling courses 
hiring a PR firm. Definitely PR firm. Like trying not to burn all of my businesses down to the ground. It, it, Galfon really hit him with the knockout blow last night. Man, what a article blog. I don't know what you want to call it, but yeah. Wow. What a, what a piece of writing. Very powerful. Yeah. It was long, but it was, I was engaged the entire time reading it. Same. I'm not a big reader. I like to listen. Right. I learned better that way, but mm. uh, Phil is an excellent writer and there was real emotion behind this. Like uh, I think the entire piece, it wasn't Phil's usual, like over analytical, very particular about word choice. You know, I, I kind of wrote in my tweet, like nobody is more selective of the things he says than Phil. Mm -hmm. Phil runs everything through many, 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 many filters. And I'm sure he did that with this piece as well, but you could see a lot of the the bubbling over spilling out into this blog, right? Um, I thought like one of the most powerful things that were said was uh, when he kind of just said like, I thought it was just known among everybody, especially in the high stakes community that Doug is just, uh, I can't remember the word choice that he used, uh, not mean, but... A bully, maybe? Cruel, cruel I think he cruel. said. Cruel, yes. Cool. The Doug is just a cruel individual. And he's like, I thought that even the people he surrounded himself with just knew and accepted that Doug was a cruel individual. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they befriended him in spite of that. That's really strong coming from Phil. Like, this is a guy who just does not say a bad word about anybody. Right, well, I mean, he, he said, too, in, in the article that he, you know, that he, uh, he tries to avoid controversy. Right. Like almost at all costs. How soon do you think Doug's going to challenge him to a, a heads-up <laughs> match now? I mean, I mean, that's the next step, I don't know. right? Check Twitter. Isn't that, might isn't that the way this happened? Yeah, this is usually the way this yeah. goes. Yeah, honestly, like, uh, there, there certainly is a world where Doug does, he just goes full heel, right? And he just leans mm -hmm. heavy into this and just says, like, fuck it, we ball. Like, this is, this is me, this is who I am, and I'm not going to start apologizing now. Uh, so there's a world where like he turns into just a hit piece machine and every video just starts being a teardown piece and every video is a challenge for heads up for rolls. I think that's unlikely. But yeah, I do too. I, I, I think it's unlikely too. Yeah, but I think yeah. it's going that way. I think the only reason I really think it's unlikely is because we saw this happen the first time around when he really was, was dragging me hard and then started to drag D-Neg shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to say it was like the end of... 2018 um or early 2019 he put out a tweet a very long tweet or maybe a tweet thread where he said that uh he didn't want to be that guy any longer like kind of implying that <laughs> i thought he was like behind me nah, he's uh he's in that mic he's in the microphone <laughs> yeah that's hilarious <laughs> Chauncey wants to get oh, on the show. Man. You know? What a fucking star. Uh, no, but he was basically, like Doug was saying that, you know, he didn't want to be that guy anymore that was seen as, uh, you know, effectively a, an evil person. And, uh, you know, he didn't enjoy the backlash of people um, kind of calling him out for being uh, cruel, I guess, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. Um, and it was so short-lived. It was so short-lived. Like, a couple months went by where he did a little bit more wholesome stuff, and I'm sure the numbers just weren't nearly as good. Yeah. This and is different, though. Right? This, is this is very, very different. different right? But, but is... the point I'm trying to draw is that, like, if he has the option to turn full heel and lean into it mm -hmm. versus, like, well, going the apologetic not, route, not I think there's yeah. a part of his persona that does not want to be um, 
does not want to be villainized. Right. Right. Even though like he's played that role for a very long time, he's done it from a perch of, but they like me, you know, uh, he's gotten enough fan favor and used humor in, uh, a, a powerful enough way that he garnered equal fear and, uh, accolades along mm-hmm. the lines. Right. Um, if he turns full heel now, like that, la- that latter part goes away. No one's going to like him. Right. right? It's just going to be a matter of that's the best business model. Was this the, uh, the main body of the, of the Galfond, um, statement, if you will, is that what he was talking about here? What was the, the cliff notes? Yeah. The cliffs were basically, uh, Phil kind of led with saying, um, I'm ashamed that I stayed quiet for so long. Oh, okay. Like basically I'm not proud that I'm making this statement now. I should have made it a long time ago. And honestly, like internally, uh, and this go this dates way back to, you know, us founding Solve for Why, a, a conversation that myself, Christian, and Jordan, when we were the, the, the three founders of all this, were just like, when it initially began, where it was clearly a tactic of uh, Doug pitting upswing versus Solve for Why in our early developmental days, uh, I just remember internally us thinking, like, or, or discussing, like, man, everything would just go away if, if like, Galfond would just recognize and say something Mm -hmm. and that's way too much pressure to put on somebody like phil especially when he's also a competitor in the space but he really was that voice of reason especially back then Mm -hmm. like not again not that it was his responsibility or anything like that but when we were talking about the dneg stuff uh on these spaces and i kind of said like yeah man it was it was really odd from a from a bystander's point of view to watch all of this unfold because you were larger than life in the space and you truly had no peers. So it wasn't like anybody could even speak up on your behalf because you didn't have any peers outside of like the Ivies of the world who weren't on social media and weren't Mm -hmm. public figures in that regard. There was nobody that like had a voice big enough or amplified enough to speak up for you. But kind of like looking back, Galfon might've been the guy, right? Like if Galfon had like kind of put his foot down in 2019 and said like, Hey man, Daniel is, you know, he, he may have said one thing off the cuff in an interview, but like this dragging him for, uh, stars eliminating supernova elite and holding him accountable and him to the fire rather than the actual company itself. It's going too far. I I think it's possible. We may have slowed or tempered, uh, the reign of Doug if we had nipped it in the bud then. Uh, but we didn't, and and this is where we're at. And I I really applaud Phil for speaking out now because mm-hmm. I think that it's sorely missed in this community. Whenever we have so few level-headed people, um, that are so well respected, and to his credit, the reason why Phil is so well respected, and the reason why people turn to him for arbitration and for, to settle disputes, and also look up to him as an industry leader, is because he steers himself down this. Mr. Nice Guy Path. Mm-hmm. Right. He stays yeah. out of the mix. He's not, right. he's not the controversy right. guy. Right. Him not inserting himself in all the controversy is a big reason why people respect him. And he made it very, he made that very obvious in the article. Like he made a very good point about Bonomo and Charlie even uh, basically saying like, if a popularity contest was, was put out tomorrow, I would win in a landslide. Mm-hmm. Like these two are very polarizing and as a byproduct, not well liked. And he's like, but they're the ones who are on the front lines uh, kind of like breaking eggs and pushing us to advance and uh, reconsider 
previous views that may be either outdated or unpopular ones now. Um, so I, I think that, you know, it's never too little too late. I, I think that like this is a, a massive step forward for us. And it really is like the, the final stamp of approval of like what's been happening the past two weeks was not only necessary, but it's warranted. And I think Phil like did a great job of kind of articulating that this isn't a secret to anyone. Like we've all held this view of Doug for a very long standing period of time. But not in the public eye. Just not publicly. Either people didn't want their uh, want his ire turned on them or they didn't care enough because they're not in the thick of it. Right. But there's only been a handful of us that from day one have been put into a position to clap back. And even like Daniel admittedly said, like, I never clapped back. I just took it. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like at first, to some degree, that was our approach too. And then we tried to respond through some like deprecating humor, the Doug Polk retired me video. And that went over like relatively well. But like when the onslaught comes, uh, you know, not that I suggest anybody does this, but if you comb through my Twitter, and just like look at me mentioning Doug or or vice versa or whatever, like it's just a litany of going back and forth on Twitter because it was the only platform where where we could get on kind of like level footing, right? We remove Thomas, we remove all the special effects, we remove all the humor, and you force Doug to be exposed for who he is, just speaking naturally. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for me it's like, well, I just get my chance to basically say I think you're a piece of shit. And that fell on deaf ears because what the onlooker sees is two figureheads just tweet storming at one another, right? And that's where everybody just kind of goes like, guys, enough. Like, I'm sick of seeing each of you on my timeline. And I totally understand that, you know? So us taking this to an audio platform where, again, it becomes a level playing field because the editors are removed and the the special effects. Even more level because it's... You don't have like no prep, no prep. You, you, you can take your time and write the tweet how you want. This is this is speaking off the cuff. Yeah, so that 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 makes it. I mean, it, that, that's just one on one at that point. Yeah, I, I thought. Yeah, I, I thought that the article was really, really, really important. And the timing of it's very good. I also think that we're uh, the news cycle moves fast. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're at a point where we're kind of moving forward um, and everybody's just going to kind of just wait on Doug at this point to see how he responds. Um, and, you know, again, we, we've said it a million times, but like actions speak louder than words. So uh, does he take a content shift? Hopefully we'll see. Who knows? Uh, and honestly, at this point, who cares? Mm-hmm. Right? Like Doug is a part of this community. He's one of the louder voices, but um, it's cyclical. Things always change, right? right. Uh, a lot of it will probably fall down to Brad. You know, and we haven't heard from him yet either. How does this impact him being a partner of the lodge, being so closely associated with Doug? How does this impact Andrew? You know, these guys are these guys are larger than the space, to be quite honest. And they have the exact opposite approach. They are the nice guys. They they are the ones that represent the everyman. Mm-hmm. And uh, I imagine at some point it'll be important for them to kind of speak out. But um, that wasn't the only thing discussed in spaces last night. It uh it went down it went down a real path. And uh before I guess we get into the secondary part, um I kinda wanna just like acknowledge a little bit of why why today's topic of conversation of this heads up match that was, you know, ethically compromised is so important with relation to the conversation that took place between Feldman um 
Keating and Garrett last night on spaces. Uh, and it kind of doubles back to what I was saying about Doug uh, on the high stakes poker match. What people I don't think understand, and, and maybe even I've been guilty of not really recognizing how far apart these worlds are, um, is that in, in the poker community at large, there are a ton of sub-communities, and they tend to fraction based off of the discipline that you play and the stake level, right? So there's a heads-up community, there's an MTT community, there's a full ring community, all of these things, but... Um, there's a massive divide between the online and live world. And of course, there is an in-group, out-group that's a byproduct of that. And I think for the longest time, I kind of spoke about this uh, a few episodes ago when we were, we were discussing Doug, but I think for the longest time, what wasn't really understood is that one of the biggest reasons why the community at large uh, both ate up what Doug said and uh secretly hated him for it is because he was a part of the online high stakes heads up community which carried a lot of respect and weight in the overall poker community uh his peers had a lot of respect for him as did the other high stakes online uh grinders be it mtt players full ring whatever because high stakes heads up was like thought to be a king of the hill type of of place right so he was a staple of that community and he was well respected I think that all of his uh, targets, however, almost across the board, I can't think of a single one that doesn't fit this narrative. They were all a part of the high stakes live community mm -hmm. in one capacity or another, be it cash or, or MTTs. And he made it a point to embarrass that community at all costs. And I think... It was an in-group, out-group type of thing where uh, I kind of mentioned this before. Doug's never really been welcomed into the high-stakes live community. And he doesn't really have any concept of what's going on there. And admittedly, the more I dig into this stuff, the more part of these Discord groups I am, I don't know what's going on in the high-stakes online community at all. Is that just because of um, that he just doesn't play enough high-stakes? He's not involved in uh, you know the games itself? Yeah. You, you <laughs> understand them based off of the fact that you have experience in mm -hmm. high stakes period and you understand them as an onlooker. Right. But you have no idea what the intricate details, details of that community are like. You don't know the characters, you don't understand the politics and all these other things that are going on. And I bring this up because we saw a lot of that on display last night when Keating, Garrett, and Ryan were talking. I'm listening as somebody who's very much a part of the high stakes live community and I know exactly what they're talking about. And they're almost speaking in code, right? Because no one will actually come straight out and say, you know, you leveraged this player to get into that game and then uh, you leveraged my presence to create this game and all this other stuff, right? That's the natural politics of, of live high stakes cash. And I know that people have, they're, they're privy to some of the details because a little bit of it gets leaked, but you guys have no idea, no idea what the nuance behind all this is, right? Not just a bunch of rich guys getting together and sitting down playing poker. No, and it's That's not about right. shutting out pros and... Uh, and letting in amateurs and it's not as simple as it looks by any stretch of the imagination right jesus christ he's fierce bro he lightened us seriously oh my Lots goodness holy play. hell he's a, he's a he's a king of the jungle here he really is um and i think that like uh you know now doubling this back to the to the online community 
there's a lot of inner workings there that we're just like not privy to. Uh, getting to speak to George about the the boycott at GG was really eye opening. Seeing how coordinated they are, understanding that there's only like you know around a hundred players that they actually have to coordinate with, and that these guys are running their own Discord groups. They they have their own little sub community where they're able to contact one another constantly. Mm -hmm. um, live is very much the same way. You know, you you have a handful of game runners and they have uh, a Rolodex of, you know, 100, 150 guys that are part of this community. And a lot of gossip is shared. A lot of the underpinnings of the politics are shared. Uh, you know, money is exchanged. There's facilitation of, of transfers and all this other stuff. There's it, It's so organic and there's so much going on. And if you're out, you just are out, right? Like if you're not a part of it, you have no clue what's going on and any speculation is going to be met with resistance from those who are in. And I think that that's a big aspect of, um, of like why when, you know, Doug comes to high stakes poker, he just gets absolutely obliterated by Rob because mm -hmm. Rob is a part of the in group and he's seen what this guy has done and said about other members of his group. Right. And it's just like, well, that's not fair. You don't know these people. You don't, you don't, you, it's not up to you to judge. And like mm. for you to judge their brand of poker, like you have no idea what they're dealing with. This environment is very different, that type of stuff. Um, I think that, I, I, I think that like when we look at last night's space, that kind of was exemplified as Ryan was getting lambasted a bit by Garrett and by, <laughs> by Keating, who was 25 fucking edibles deep, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, you know, a lot of it was just like talking in circles and it was difficult to kind of cut through the bullshit, but it was just very clear that Garrett felt underappreciated for what he helped build at the bike and then at Hustler, uh, and felt like he was very easily discarded the second that they had the opportunity to do so. Like, I think that the, the general message he got across was, I don't feel like you guys backed me at all in this scandal. And Ryan kind of replied and said, like, well, we feel the same. We don't feel like you supported us at all in this scandal, which is somewhat fair, but also somewhat unfair. Because the first thing that Garrett did was come out and say, I think there's a 0% likelihood that anybody working at HCL had anything to do with this. Right. And then, like, one week later, we see that somebody on the inside, like, you know, <laughs> potentially may have had something to do with this. So it's like, uh, it's, it's all a bunch of political navigating. It's all a bunch of tit-for-tat type of exchanges where uh, the expectation of all parties involved are, if I do you a favor, if I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And whenever somebody has an itch that goes unscratched, they, get, they feel very slighted. And we saw that with Keating because my understanding of like Keating's relationship with a lot of these stream houses was just that he wanted to kind of have a hand in the growth of public poker, so to speak. Uh, and... I hate to even call it public because it's not, it, I don't mean it in the sense of anyone can play. I mean it in the sense of anybody can watch, right? And he seemed like he felt very slighted. Well, I know for a fact he did because he was texting me on the side. Um, he seemed like very slighted or feeling very slighted that uh, some of the absolute biggest aspects of HCL over the last two years were at his hands. The creator game, getting Beast involved, uh, and then, you know, those big games thereafter, the the first high stakes week where JRB won a million dollars, Keating was blasting in all of these and he lost a ton of money. And I know that like he is 
a bit of a ringleader when it comes to being able to set these lineups. So those lineups don't come together without Keating's help. And we're seeing that now in the million-dollar cash game lineups, right? The seats are getting filled by regs. For better or for worse, I don't care personally. Like as a viewer, I don't care. Um, but like we're seeing Doug get invited. We're seeing Mariano get invited. We're seeing Hands get invited. Like these are guys that are, have a win rate, you know? And it's not the same as that first high stakes week where it was Mickey and Eric and JRB and uh, Hanks and, you know, these guys are, and Keating, these guys are just like in full blast off mode. So I think there's a lot to be said for what Keating is alluding to. And I didn't get to catch his spaces this morning, but it sounds like he basically said, I'm never playing on HCL again. I'm going to start my own stream. This is that in group, like, that nobody's really privy to now leaking into a public space, right? Like the dirty laundry is kind of getting leaked out a little bit and uh, it's a little bit of infighting taking place. It's a, it's a tiny, tiny glimpse of the onlookers getting to see how political and uh, how, I don't even, maybe political is not even the right word, just like how organic this space is mm -hmm. and how much of a relationship it truly is with everyone involved, right? If you're not good at conflict resolution, if you're not good at understanding where you offer value, and then also, you know, holding the people that um, you're benefiting accountable to give you something in return, not always tit for tat, right? Like, I'm very sure that I either gave way more value or uh, got way more in return in the majority of the good spots that I've had, or sorry, let me rephrase the majority of the spots that I've had throughout my high stakes career. Right. I'm sure I took a bunch of shit spots where I was giving up way, way, way more than I could maybe even yeah, afford. You, you didn't turn down a lot of seats. No, it was just like, Oh, this not. is the lineup and it's filled with pros. And yeah. You're like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll play. Right. You just understand yeah where you fit in the hierarchy, mm -hmm. what your role is meant to be. Mm -hmm. I, I know that I was just a facilitator. That's always going to be my role in this space, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a person who is a good winner and a good loser that facilitates the movement of money in a game. Yeah. And that's all Rex want. Like people think that they want like, oh, no pros, no pros. They don't give a fuck what your label is, man. A lot of them are banning Rex. There are so, I, I can't tell you how many Rex I've seen get banned over the last 10 years. Because they play too tough. Mm -hmm. They care way too much about winning. Mm -hmm. And they play too fucking tight. And they only... Like, there are guys that, that have gotten banned that any single open game in America would pull up a 10th chair for. But they play such a low VPIP in these games. And they just try to cherry pick their spots. And these other wrecks that are having a good time are blasting so hard that the guy becomes a net negative to the, to the seat. And you'd rather just have a pro in there who understands the environment and is willing to move money around, right? Like, I, I, I know a doctor who honestly may not know how hand rankings work beyond sets. <laughs> but that's the problem, is he's literally just playing for sets, and he doesn't put money in the pot otherwise. So, like, mm -hmm. he got banned. Yeah, that's not entertainment. That's right, not and a guy like Marcus, who, uh, who was the CEO, and by all accounts mm -hmm. is a recreational in every single definition of it, was fucking good, man. And the Rex were afraid of him. He blasted too hard, you know, and he got banned. And it's like there, there are so the, many other accounts of this mm -hmm. where um, it's just really critical that people understand it's not about the label. It's about where you fit in the hierarchy, right? You have to 
you have to allow yourself to drop down in the hierarchy and not make yourself more self-important than you think you are. And I think that's what we heard out of Garrett last night. Like, I don't think he understands in the hierarchy. I mean, he understands, yeah. but I think like he feels like he's a bigger attribute to all of this than he actually currently is. At one point, he's right. He was, but he's not any longer. That's the thing. The, the game, it, it, the numbers didn't drop off when he left. Right. That's the problem. The momentum right. was so mm -hmm. fierce. Yeah, it wasn't he, like, oh, this game can't continue without right. without Garrett. Right. And he feels that way. And just like, just look, man, the game the game has moved on without you. So it's like you, you, you don't have the power that maybe you once had or think you have now. Right. And that's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. you no, know, for sure. For yeah. viewers and for Garrett. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone loved Garrett. Of they course. Well, it, from the outside. That's what I'm saying. Right. From the right. inside, I mean, the though. Viewers. I mean, right, the viewers. Right. From the inside, again, like what people aren't privy to and what kind of leaked out a little bit in that space is that from the inside, it's a totally different ball game. Mm-hmm. And I think that we kind of saw that on display a little bit last night. Garrett was like pretty forthright that he's cutthroat as fuck. He lost that nice guy persona last night. He went after Phil hard, you know, basically saying like Phil's being soft in this article. Like this game is cutthroat as fuck. No one owes anybody anything. And I think Doug has lived up to that standard and I back it because like I live the same way. And I think for the rest of us, we're kind of just like, that's one way. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be the only way. Like, a guy like Jared B comes to mind. Like, does he ensure that he uh, gets himself into good spots? And is he as shrewd as he possibly can to make sure that he's never taking the worst of it? Of course. But Jared B is one of the most generous people I've ever come across when it comes to uh, just, you know, being a facilitator and being a game runner. Um, he, he, to me, is one of the sharpest guys when it comes to EQ in this space. He navigates this world in a way like no one I've ever seen, like so gracefully where he manages to always be the one that people are pissed off at and never shirking it on to others, right? And he does that in a way because he's not zero, he's not exclusively zero thumb. He's not some, he's not exclusively cutthroat. He has those traits, but he also just understands proper value exchange. And he understands when it's important to give a little in order to get a lot down the line. And I think that gets missed whenever you have this short-sighted viewpoint of it's every man for himself, every dollar to be earned as fast as possible. That works, but the problem is you end up in the spot that Garrett and Doug are both in right now, where at some point you get cut off. At some point you either have earned too many dollars or alienated too many people where the, the, the community at large says enough, enough, enough is enough, like you're out. And that's fine if you're rich enough to walk away or you feel like you accomplished enough that you can walk away. But it's a real problem if, if those two things aren't true. And I imagine Garrett has accomplished enough and is wealthy enough that if he had to walk away from poker tomorrow, he would be totally fine. But I imagine his competitive spirit would just be broken. Yeah, he wants to play. Yeah, which is brutal. Um, that was a pretty long setup for <laughs> uh, our main topic today, which is uh, this heads-up challenge that was behind, uh, kind of behind the scenes. So this was an online heads-up challenge and I kind of want to introduce it a little bit so everybody understands uh, who's involved and what was actually taking place. Um, this, was, this was brought to light to me through our Discord group. Uh, and it was basically just like this subtle little online challenge that got drummed up in a Discord server. Uh, a couple of American regs playing 1020 No Limit on ACR. Um, the people involved that were playing were Brandon Brown, 
who was ultimately the one who uh, I don't want to say was cheated, but you know was was taken advantage of in this situation. And uh, he was playing. So he goes by Slipping Jimmy online. Uh, he was playing uh, Go Hard in the Paint, who is uh, Colton uh, Keenan, uh, a Pennsylvania reg. I think he plays mostly on like PA Stars uh, and a few other places. Um, they basically just like threw down in a Discord. They started to work out a challenge. Uh, the full uh, rules of of that challenge. Uh, let me pull it up. So the full rules were uh, fifteen thousand hands. At, sorry, at fifteen thousand hands, the uh, person losing has the option to quit with no penalty. Um, of course, it would forfeit any side action that was uh, taking place. Um, sorry, they would pay half of the the side action. Um, if somebody quits after 15,000 hands, once they've agreed to continue, the same penalty would apply. 25,000 hands total were to be played. Um, and I believe that this was all going to be done at 1020 on ACR. I think they cross booked at smaller stakes, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that's ultimately the the challenge that got thrown down. And from there, there were some other caveats that were uh, kind of outlined. Uh, specifically, they were obviously both going to get coached. Neither one of them were going to reveal who they were working with. Um, there was uh, a message about uh, you know like basically ethically uh, data mining each other. And they had both agreed that uh, they could farm data on one another as long as we're like ethically sourced. What I mean by that is like, at least from my understanding, is that it's organically captured. So you're not buying the hand histories uh, and you're not like, you know, being gifted them by somebody who has a bunch of experience on you. Um, uh, then I think the final caveat was that they named an arbitrator uh, who will be the next person that we introduce. And that was Joshua Lesnar. Yeah. So Josh Lesnar was uh, named an arbitrator, uh, formerly or maybe currently still a run at once coach uh, and a part of Zenith Poker. So Zenith is an important um, character as a company in this whole story. As things began to shake out, a lot more details came to light. So again, no one disclosed who they were working with, but uh, once the challenge you know, came to a head and they had to seek arbitration, um, what became common knowledge, I guess, was that uh, Cole had hired um, Thomas Pinnock, the owner of Zenith, as the, uh, what? what on earth is going on here? Why is Jamin here? Hello. Excuse me. You're standing in front of oh, my camera. Let's go. <laughs> what is this? Let's go. What? what? <laughs> Top of the horses just released. Oh Look my God. At that Taylor right. Swift. What? 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 Oh, hold on. Book. Take a seat. You know what's right. That's it. Ah. You're done. I'm it. We gotta, well, thank you, sir. We got a drive-by Taylor Swift comic book first off. This what? is a little golden book, Burke. It's more than a comic book. I mean, this is this is the real deal. I hate this bit. <laughs> I hate this bit so much. It's not a bit. It's. 
All right, I'll, I'll, I'll be reading this. You know, you're a grown man, and I don't know how okay this is. <laughs> I have to tell you. Um, all right, back Taylor to... Taylor Addison Swift was born on no December 13th, 1989. <laughs> Literally no one cares. Uh, so it was discovered oh, that Thomas Pinnock, the owner of Zenith Poker, was uh, then hired by Cole. And Zenith Poker is a training... Uh, yeah, yeah. So sort. it's a coaching. It's a coaching side of sort. Mm-hmm. It seems as though they have like a bunch of modules for sale. Uh, they mostly focus on preflop, um, and we'll get into a little bit of a discussion here shortly thereafter about some of the controversy that they've had in their past. Uh, but Thomas ends up being Cole's coach, and there's a bit of a conflict of interest here because in the past he had coached Brandon. Most specifically, he had done a database review on Brandon. Now, before I get any deeper into this story, I want to kind of uh, paint a picture for everybody who may not have been around pre-Black Friday as to uh, something similar that has happened in the past where a precedence was kind of set. So way back in 2009, Brian Hastings beat Isildur out of 4.2 million. Um, the, the total number is actually, I guess, not confirmed because data, or the, the, the tracking wasn't perfect, but they said somewhere between 3.5 and 4.2 million. Um, what later came out was that uh, Hastings was working with Brian Townsend and Cole South of Card Runners back then. And they were utilizing a database of hands that were scraped, I believe, from Townsend and Cole having played Isildur. Uh, I'm not entirely positive of the details of exactly where the database came from. But nevertheless, it was in-game hands that were pulled from Isildur's play and they basically created a heavily exploitative strategy to, you know, kind of fleece the guy. Um, now, back then, that broke the rules uh, of Full Tilt's TO, uh, Terms of Service. And I believe they were suspended as Red Pros for a period of time. Um, but nothing else really came of it. It wasn't like they considered it cheating Isildur wasn't awarded any money back or anything along those lines. It was just kind of like ethically questionable, right? Um, now, the big thing with this is that they did not have Durs, or sorry, Isildur's whole cards, obviously, unless hands went to showdown. So they had a full database and they had, you know, some patterns that they could pull from it. But ultimately, it was mostly incomplete information outside mm-hmm. of the times that, that the hands actually went to showdown. Which is very important. Very, very, very critical uh, detail involved here. Um, so moving along in this story, they played uh, about half the challenge. I think they played around 12,000 hands. And um, Brandon was getting absolutely slaughtered. So he was down 70K, roughly 25 buy-ins, uh, which is a fair amount. And speaking with him, uh, essentially, he was worried. I don't know if I can reveal who his coach was or not. I don't know if that's public, so I'm just not going to. Um, but essentially... He had gotten to a point where um, he was suspicious and he and his coaching staff were uh, basically discussing that. Uh, this is Brandon you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. sorry. I just got a DM. Man, I just realized I know Josh. Uh, I met Josh. I met Josh at Jeremiah's wedding. Um, <clears throat> he said he'd have to come on and give his side. Uh in the future, I, I want to try to give as much of a, a third-party perspective as possible today, and then down the line, as things uh, continue to come out, I'll be happy to have like all parties on to discuss. But uh, in the meantime, um, 
basically he became suspicious of the downswing and they started to run some prime dope calcs to see like how big of a loss rate he would have to have and like how much variance he would have to be undertaking in order for this to be uh, a feasible downswing and they basically kind of concluded like they should at least be suspicious uh so from there i believe uh brandon went to the arbitrator who was josh and uh you know kind of questions a few things now again i'm only catching catching like bits and pieces from each side i've spoken to everybody in dms but um you know it's a big story so it's tough to get all the details uh totally aligned uh from brandon's point of view he basically asked him uh if uh if cole was working with thomas knowing full well that they had worked together in the past but in brandon's own admission he said that he had forgotten that uh like he had totally forgotten about the database altogether uh so i guess like you know josh said no like they're not working together yada 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 um eventually brandon took it upon himself to data scrape his own like so i i think the way he explained it to me was he realized that uh thomas the the coach of cole still had access to his previous database via google drive and it dawned on him like oh maybe this is being weaponized against me so he then ran a uh data scrape of the first 5,000 hands that they had played and compared it to his own old database uh utilizing you can see stat a through n is listed here he didn't want to be specific in what stats those, what those were because he didn't want it to be weaponized against him in the future but basically uh what ended up happening was he compared those first 5,000 hands compared to uh, his previous database to see if the exploits overlapped. And what you can see is that um, I think it ends up being 12 out of 14 or 11 out of 13 of these stats have uh, direct correlation to uh, being heavily exploited. And in the far right, you can see the probability of all these stats deviating in the proper exploitative direction purely by chance is a point zero 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 one point six two or sorry one six two percent chance. It doesn't look good, It doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. You know, this isn't overwhelming. It's a small sample, but it these patterns in data very rarely happen by chance, right? Right, especially in like complicated systems such as no limit hold'em. So this became his first like real red flag of evidence. And at this point, uh, you know, I, I believe he wanted to take it to arbitration. Um, from there, uh, you know, prior to to it actually getting arbed, uh, I believe it became known that Josh had a small equity stake in Zenith, and that Zenith was also uh, involved in coaching Cole. Um, so shortly thereafter, Josh basically said, "I'll be resigning as arbiter of this match." uh brown had so basically this is this is his statement i'm reading it uh, he said brown had conducted himself in a very unsavory and disrespectful manner uh with his interactions with me that i don't feel it's kosher to continue forward in this position as i refuse to be put in a position where uh a const uh sorry a contestant berates me for my decisions man sorry i'm i'm reading something that's definitely not 1080p <laughs> blurry as fuck <laughs> um it'll be up to my guys Oh, sorry, it'll be up to you guys to negotiate with the new ARB. I hold my integrity standards to a very high bar and I will not be treated that way. Best of luck to you both. Okay, so, um, you know, he ultimately bows out uh, for a reason of he didn't think that he was being treated fairly by both parties and that might be reasonable. 
Um, it later then came out, I believe, that he had an equity stake in in Zenith, and now that the Zenith, the, there's this trail of uh, incentive on Zenith's side for Cole to win. Um, from there, I believe an arbitration panel was then created. Uh, I'm not sure how many people were actually on this panel, but um, it does appear that uh, it was more than a handful. A few of them are in our Discord server. And uh, that's who actually brought this story uh, across my desk, I suppose. Um, okay, sorry. Uh, Brandon just reached out to me and said, you can announce my coach. So he was working with KRAB and you know they had ultimately decided to move forward in uh, trying to um, you know get this arbitrated because they felt like something shady was occurring. Now, uh, to give a little bit of backstory on Thomas and Zenith, uh, this isn't the first time that he's kind of gotten caught up in in controversy. Um, there was a previous moment uh, two two years ago, June 2021, where they were under fire for sharing stolen material during a live stream. Uh, I guess what had happened, I didn't see the stream, obviously. I'm just going off of this article as well as uh, a bunch of um, third-party observers who've told me the story. But I guess he had gone through a bunch of other coaches' material including um, a lot of uh, ranges that are posted on either other sites or by other individual coaches. And he was kind of tearing them apart uh, on a live stream, basically dissecting, you know, why they were wrong, why his stuff was better. It was all a big ad for Zenith Poker. And he went under uh, a ton of scrutiny for that. Um, the other thing that ultimately got brought up during the arbitration was that there was a video uh, of Jimmy admitting that he had a hundred thousand hands of uh, Brandon's database. So I don't know what was going on. It seems like he was doing some sort of live stream, and somebody in the chat must have said something along the lines of like, "Brandon will play you heads up." Uh, you want to go ahead and roll that vid? Yeah, Brandon wants to play heads up. Play heads up. That'd be fun, but I don't think that's the purpose of the stream. The, the difference between, the, it, it's just unfortunate though, because I've got, you know, a few hundred thousand of Brandon's hands and he has none of mine. So, I, I have the advantage there. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Let me repeat. So in the statement of facts, uh, Cole Keenan's coach, um, by the way, it's like abundantly clear that uh, Brandon worked with a lawyer having this drawn up. I'm looking at all the, uh, the, the things that were presented to the arbiters and, or the arbitrators. And uh, it's, it's just clear. This is, this is very well drawn up. So uh, in a statement of facts, he says, Cole Keenan's coach, Tom, Thomas Pinnock of Zenith poker had access and motive to commit these acts against Brandon. 
Thomas had access to Brandon Brown's private database of 200,000 high-stake poker hands with all whole cards exposed. The whole cards exposed point is a very, very key thing to hone in on because unlike the Isildur database from 2009, this has all of Brandon's hands that he's playing, right? So you get to see where he's overfolding, where he's overbluffing, like down to the nuance of the candidates that he's choosing and like how accurate it is. Go and, ahead, then, and then this, this is something you, you cannot get by watching hands, by, Correct. by data scrape, by, by doing what, like, what was agreed upon, right? right. Yeah, the, this, is, this is essentially private information that would, would not be available otherwise. Correct, yeah. Um, and as we demonstrated in that video, like Thomas admitted to having these hands available mm -hmm. to him uh, as he was basically saying, like, if we played up, I would have a huge leg up because I have all these hands to study. Um, let's see what else is going on here. Uh, so then he says, Zenith Poker had a 10% stake in Cole's profits in the challenge, including, a 10, including the 10K side bet with no risk of loss, providing Thomas with a financial incentive in addition to the aforementioned pers uh, personal motive. Um, I didn't really go through why they dislike each other, but it's, it's not all that important. Just, you know, there's effectively motive there outside of just financial as well. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, then B, they said, Cole, Thomas... Uh, Marcus, is, who isn't really that important of a character, he was just somebody else who has an equity share of Zenith that was like laying the wood in side bets against Brandon. So from the outside looking in, it appears as though he probably had insider info. Um, but I don't think anything was ever ruled on with that. And as far as I understand, Marcus isn't paying out side bets and wasn't ruled to by the arbitrator. So uh, I know that I spoke with him in a DM and he said he's going to release a statement tomorrow. Uh, we'll obviously follow up on that next week to see what his involvement was, if any, uh, as well as like what he has to say. But, you know, it doesn't really look good for the Zenith crew. Um, Brandon was basically saying that these guys all had a duty to disclose Zenith's coaching relationship with Cole to Brandon prior to the start of the Heads Up Challenge as it was material to Brandon accepting this challenge. And that's that's kind of an important nuance because they had agreed to keep their coaching camps quiet but when a conflict of interest like this arises now i think that that agreement has to go out the window mm -hmm. right because obviously if brandon knew that he would never accept this challenge yeah you're you're just being data mined right you're you're being gamed against um there has to be some sort of like full disclosure right right um you know, it kind of goes on uh, about some of the finer details as to why this is such a bad thing uh which is pretty obvious to anybody uh, working or, or, or seeing this from the outside looking in. Um, and then it just basically says, like, given the amount of time that they were working with Zenith, Zenith it's overwhelmingly likely that Cole was aware Thomas had access to Brandon's private database. Um, I don't know enough of the details to know if that was inherently understood at the time, but in Brandon's now statement thereafter, he does acknowledge that uh, they kind of knew of that. So, Whenever we get to uh, the the final statement after, uh, we'll talk about the arbitrator's decision um, next. But uh, I want to I want to talk about Brandon's statement where he admits the wrongdoing. Uh, so he says to clear the air and get a bunch of things off my chest. I'm going to be addressing everyone as to the full truth and context of the matter 
Brandon's old database. Now, the context behind this is that Brandon openly admits that he was lying about a lot of details while arbitration was taking place. So he was kind of railroading the process. Do you, do the you process. mean Cole or Brandon? Sorry, sorry, Cole. My apologies. Because okay, I was getting yeah. confused. <laughs> yeah, my apologies. What, yeah, I was... Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Cole, uh, going hard in the paint, um, released a statement at the end, uh, basically admitting his wrongdoing. And a lot of that statement kind of summarizes that he was railroading the whole arbitration process through, through small lies. Uh, so he said, I will no longer be involved with Zenith moving forward from this point. And in retrospect, I shouldn't have been involved with them in the first place. I also fucked up big time and would like to accept responsibility for my part in this affair as it was a primary role. Everything I post will be from me in my own words and will 100% be true. For what it's worth, everything has been refunded. That doesn't resolve all the issues at hand. However, more to come later tonight. Uh, so the more to come later was uh, this what really happened full statement. Um, and uh, essentially, it goes into the backstory how he initially came in contact with Thomas. Uh, basically... Uh, he had never interacted with him before and was unaware of his history. Didn't know he had coached Brandon prior to the involvement. Um, he says, I know for certain Josh had no malicious intent in, uh, toward Brandon with this recommendation. And it's unlikely that Thomas having Brandon's old hands even crossed his mind. Um, you know, that's, that's one side. It, I, I think it's tough to, to make any leaps or sweeping statements like this. But if you're given the benefit of the doubt, then sure. Um, then it says, how did I come in contact with the database? Early on in our coaching relationship, I asked Thomas for information on Brown, to which he produced approximately 5,000 hands of heads up from Brown, which we looked over for about 15 minutes. Uh, he says, it didn't cross my mind at the time that these hands were unethically obtained or accessed. Uh, I asked Thomas to filter for hands that went to showdown so we could see whole cards, but I noticed there were some hands included in the sample that had whole cards only for Brandon. In retrospect, it should have been apparent to me that anybody with access to such hands was likely involved with Brown at some point, or that the hands were data mined, which be which could be considered unethical and is against TOS of many sites. That said, with such a small sample consisting of hands uh, at least two years old and almost entirely played against rec players, we decided that it would be the best move to study GTO concepts rather than exploit the hands we had access to. Um, I understand the statement. It's probably some of the truth. Maybe it's even all the truth. I'm not sure. It does heavily contradict, though, the sheer data that Brandon was able to present. Um, I, I think being able to display 12 or 13 statistics that all deviate from GTO in a very exploitative way that benefits Cole right. is it's kind of damning. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, again, I, I understand small sample. Uh, you know, maybe it's not enough, but it, it aligns. Uh, so to be clear, when I say that, um, when I said earlier that Brandon uh, compared his early play to the 5,000 hands, the 5,000 hands in question were the heads-up hands that Thomas had access to. Right. So what he was comparing was the database that Thomas had access to full hole cards on, uh, the, 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 the way he played in that database compared to how he was exploited in the early goings of this match. And there seemed to be a one-to-one -one correlation. Uh, goes on to say the initial why, investigation. Do we know why it was only the, the first 5,000 hands, not the full 12 that they played? You're, you're conflating. The oh. 5,000 hand sample right. was the hands that he had played that Thomas had helped him study. Oh, gotcha. Right, right, right. Uh, I don't know how many hands he analyzed of the actual match right, right, compared right. to that 5,000. Gotcha. It could be 1,200. It could be all 12,000. I don't know. 
Um, but whatever the sample was that he chose, uh, it demonstrated this correlation. So of course, to get a better, uh, to get a better data set, we could look at all 12,000 hands that were played and see if that still consistently aligns. Um, but it, it's at least a good jumping off point to understand. Uh, so now he goes on to talk about the initial investigation. He said, I was first made aware of the allegations on a discord call with our first arbitrator, Josh Lesnar. Josh asked me what I knew about the database. If I knew Thomas had it or Thomas had accessed it, it was, I was a bit blindsided by this and chose to initially deny. I knew anything about it. This was a lie. I knew Thomas had Brandon's old hands and I knew we used them to construct primarily our preflop strategy. I was also aware that Brandon had no proof against me or Thomas at this point, And I didn't want to throw Thomas under the bus for something that couldn't be proven. I should have accepted responsibility immediately and disclosed what I knew. With an absence of evidence, Josh chose not to pursue the matter further. Brandon accused Josh of conflict of interest due to his past involvement with Zenith. Josh resigned as arbitrator, instructing us to find another. Uh, Josh did not have reason to believe we had acted unethically, and I hope that people understand this. My reputation should absolutely take a hit for this. Josh should not. So I think, uh, I think Brandon's probably telling his truth here. And I think what could maybe not be um, fully understood is uh, there's a whole other relationship here. There's obviously a relationship between Josh and Thomas where, sure, maybe from Brandon's point of view, Josh didn't have any sort of motivation or insight as to what was going on. But a lot of underhanded things could have been taking place that were just kept from him. And I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just basically throwing out all potential scenarios, right? Mm -hmm. that, that would make logical sense here. Uh, the next section is ethical failures during arbitration. He says, after we select the new arbitrators, we both accused each other of uh, ethical infractions. Brandon accused us of using his database against him, and we accused him of fabricating allegations without evidence. I repeatedly lie what I knew about Thomas had access to. Of course, there was pressure to do this, and I ran everything by my team before sending, but ultimately, I was the one who pressed send. Um... The next is what the database was used for. Uh, basically, he said that they were utilizing it to come up with a sizing scheme for preflop, um, which seems like a pretty weak use of the database. Uh, heads up is very mechanical. I don't think, and maybe I'm wrong, um, but I doubt that, uh, that Brandon was using many different sizes. I, I guess if they weren't resetting stacks, then it, it makes some sense uh, that they need to get like a, a, a sizing pattern for... 100 blinds, 150, 200, 250, whatever. Um, but, you know, that if, if you have full access to somebody's whole cards over 5,000 hands, that seems like the weakest use of the database. Mm. And it seems, even if that's all that was presented to Brandon that they were using it for, it seems almost impossible that Thomas wasn't utilizing what he was observing in an exploitative way when teaching Cole uh, how to learn to play heads up against Brandon, right? Um so like he didn't even necessarily have to be privy to it in all reality, right? Maybe that's all that he was shown the database for was to, to data mine sizings. But it's almost certain that Thomas was in the background doing heavy work on this database. It would make, if he was willing to use it for that, he's obviously going to be willing to use it for everything, yeah. right? I'm sure he ran it through hand to note. I'm sure he found the exploitative nodes. And I'm sure he leaned his coaching into uh, developing a strategy that would counter those nodes. Right. Um, let's see. 
Okay, so he just concludes with, moving forward, I promise to conduct myself ethically. I'm not a scammer. I'm not a cheater. I will try to make amends moving forward any way I know how. If you have questions, please contact me on Discord. Uh, so I spoke, with, I spoke with Cole a bit, and I will say that he came across to me as kind of like a young guy who found himself in a situation to do what was ethically right and, uh, you know, take the worst of it or lean on the easy lie and benefit from it. And, you know, he chose the latter, but, uh, and I'm not excusing it, of course. When you're young, I, I don't know how old this guy is, but he strikes me as somebody in like his early to mid 20s. <clears throat> it's difficult to have a fully formed moral compass, especially when your peer group is a bunch of cutthroat, high stakes cash players, mm -hmm. right? Um, and taking that one step further, a lot of the online poker world and, and maybe even a lot of the, the poker world in general is pretty insulated and you don't have a lot of mentors uh, kind of overseeing you and guiding you down the proper paths, which is really tough because in this space, there is a lot of opportunity to kind of take the easy road or more importantly, the, the financially incentivized road, uh, which oftentimes will be ethically compromising to let's call it the greater good or uh, the, the greater community at large. Not everyone's ethics are gonna align. Not everybody's moral compass is gonna be the same. Not everybody's character is gonna be the same, but there are a lot of things that we can agree on, right? Like, I don't know that we can call this cheating, but we can all agree that it's ethically unsavory. They broke the rules of, or allegedly broke the rules of, uh, of the match itself, right? Because the match was, you weren't allowed to, Get. No, you were allowed to data mine. You were allowed to data mine, but you weren't allowed to uh, use data that was already like. No, you were. Okay. It just had to be ethically sourced. Right. Which that wasn't. Correct. Right. So that broke the rules. They right, but you were implying that they broke the rules because they used data, not because. No, because they used data they weren't allowed to use. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. Of course. What I'm saying. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Like, we can all agree that this is unethical, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it's not, you don't need to state that rule in the challenge for this to always be unethical. Right. That rule could never exist. Uh, you could never even discuss whether or not you're allowed to go out and get data on one another. Mm -hmm. And it would still be absolutely unethical to seek out his former coach and get right. his full database. It, yeah. There's just no world where anybody in this space would ever, would ever agree, to, agree otherwise. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, there is this, there's all fair and love and war type of mentality when it comes to these types of situations. Uh, I thought what it was especially telling to me, um, not necessarily in judging the character of Cole or uh, his intentions, but basically this wasn't without thought. This wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. He said, I lied when asked about the database because I knew they couldn't prove it, Right. That's, that's a conscious decision. That is a, a well-calculated thought and one that goes hand-in-hand hand with being a good poker player, right? You do cost-benefit analysis and you just come to the conclusion that my EV is much higher if I lie. And, uh, you know, again, like kind of chalking this up to a bit of a youthful experience where you'll live and learn type of thing. Hopefully it's not just a byproduct of him kind of getting caught and outed, right? But hopefully it's more of a, a, a learning experience that if you want to play the infinite game, it's going to be a lot more of a collaborative experience. It's going to be a lot more of not just 
thinking about your own EV, your own bottom line, what would be best for me here in the near term, but rather thinking about the longevity of your career, the longevity of the relationships you're building, how much EV is attached to being a well-respected member of this community, to having your reputation um, smudgeless whenever it's all said and done, understanding also that we have to work together and be able to trust one another in these kind of scenarios where um, there is underhanded ways that you can take advantage of the other person and make more money. But if the roles were reversed, you would absolutely crucify somebody doing that to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that those are ultimately the biggest takeaways and ones that, you know, uh, it seems like a pretty remorseful coal is hopefully reflecting on. Uh, I do want to discuss what the arbitrator's final decision was. Um, it's, it's outlined very neatly. Uh, it basically says the allegation was Brandon Brown, AKA Slippin' Jimmy has alleged that Cole Keenan, AKA going hard in the paint and his coach, Thomas Pinnock of Zenith had access to Brandon's private database and used it to gain an unfair advantage during this match. This database contained approximately 210,000 hands of Brandon's uh, with whole cards shown. Approximately five to 10,000 of these hands were heads up. The rest were six max. Our decision. After thorough deliberation, we have found sufficient evidence of Brandon Brown's allegations and hereby rule in his favor. Cole is disqualified for failing to disclose the material that, uh, sorry, a material fact that would have changed Brandon's decision to play the match. Uh, The heads-up match between Brandon Brown and Cole Keenan is hereby voided as if it had never been played. Cole is ordered to refund all of Brandon Brown's losses during the match, excluding Rake, uh, approximately totaling $44,818. All side bets, including the 10K side bet on the match and private third-party side bets are nullified and voided as if they were never made. These bets are hereby pushed. Brandon has paid approximately $1,314 in rake and Cole has paid approximately $1,625 in rake. Each player will absorb these losses in accordance with their own rake attributed stat. Coaching contracts are excluded from this calculation. Therefore, any funds outstanding or already paid to the coaches are at the recipient player's expense. This concludes this match. Uh, Then there's a how we arrived at the decision. Uh, Thomas Pinnock of Zenith, Cole's current coach and Brandon's former coach, revealed in a stream that he had access to hundreds of thousands of Brown's hands and that he had used these hands to create an exploitative counter strategy, which he now sells on his training site. Coaching tapes revealed that Pinnock had crafted a heads up counter strategy. By the way, actually, I'm not just going to gloss over that point because I think that's really fucked up. That's what I think. Yeah. Upswing did this as well when they released uh, the the How to Beat the Baron course or whatever the hell the name Mm -hmm. of it was. Um, that I think Kanu did. Uh, And I have a lot of respect for Kanu as a coach. He's very good at what he does. I I believe his course is very good, but I I know that data mining is a thing, and I understand that when you sign up to play in these games, you sign off to the fact that those hands are available, uh, you know, for people to to purchase or, or whatever. And we kind of do the same thing in live streaming environment, right? There's nothing stopping anybody from going through and, scraping all the data and compiling a database, whatever. I think it's a different, I think there's a huge difference between getting access to this information and utilizing it in your own personal study or utilizing it, um, you know, to, to mimic that strategy, to create a game plan, whatever the case may be versus commercially selling it, right? Like creating an entire course based off of a database of hands, especially in a coach 
student scenario, right? Like, mm-hmm. imagine a student coming to you and you agreeing to do a hand database review and then you turning on them and using that database to sell a fucking course. Right. That's insane, yeah, man. That, and I yeah. can't imagine that, that uh, Brandon signed off on that. It would be ridiculous if he did. Um, I, I think that, like, ethically speaking, this is something that should be challenged a lot harder. And I know when Keanu's course came out, uh, there were some murmurs about like, I don't know, man, this doesn't quite sit right with me. This doesn't feel very comfortable to me. Like just putting Baron on blast like this, you know, this is definitely going to hurt his bottom line and upswing's a big course as big distribution. Um, I don't really know, but we, we kind of let it come and go. That was a real opportunity for us to, as a community, especially as a training community, guys like myself, Galfond, uh, you know, Ben CB, anybody else who's in this space that was a real opportunity for us to like stop and point this out and say like absolutely not like Mm -hmm. this is this is one step too far right this is way 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 too exploitive because data is so fucking priceless man right your strategy is only as good as you can protect Mm -hmm. it there almost has to be like a a confidentiality between the coach and the student when when that when the student is providing you with all of their data because i mean they're they're vulnerable at that point right right and it's just like you said if you take that data and turn it around and use it against them when this is the coach the person you came to um seek help from that right morally that is right and and to be fair uh one of the arbitrators is reaching out to me now he said that the actual course they put out wasn't specifically on countering brandon they only used that database in the heads up match to do that okay but the keanu course was specifically encountering otb Mm -hmm. right so it's not like there's no precedent for this having been done in the past Mm -hmm. and you know in the keanu situation it wasn't like he was otb's coach and leaked his database that way Mm -hmm. they just bought the fucking hands which is a problem in and of itself and something that you know online hasn't really gotten a hold of just yet but in any event like we shouldn't celebrate and support this type of content there are better ways to go about it and it's really unfortunate to put somebody in a spotlight where their entire game is now being dissected publicly for the world to see for a small cost right like you're only as good as your exploits imagine if i went through the last five years of gameplay had every hand that garrett has ever played on stream scraped and then I put out a fucking public course, how to beat Garrett Adelstein. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's going to have to take right. a year off just to retool his entire game. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's, you know, that's no fun. Oh, sorry. Les wasn't one of the, whatever. It, it doesn't really matter. Um, okay. So moving forward, uh, number point two was coaching tapes revealed that Pinnock had created a heads up counter strategy against Brandon using this database. And Cole knew about this at the beginning of the match, failed to disclose it to the ARBs or his opponent. Uh, point three was players had agreed that data mining was allowed at the beginning of the match. However, we don't consider hands given to a coach in confidence to be mined. We consider using these hands against the player uh, to be an egregious breach of that confidentiality. Right. Statistical evidence pointed to Cole hard exploiting Brandon's leaks at the very beginning of the match, even on late street nodes where exploitative data would be hard to obtain through normal means. Finally, approximately 10 to 15% of heads up hands go to showdown. So a database with whole cards showing, uh, oh, sorry. So a database with whole cards showing would provide approximately seven to 10 X the information of hands obtained through public means. This doesn't even factor in the fog provided by showdown bias. Furthermore, many nosebleed professional players provided testimony that the edge gain from a database like this would exceed the edge gain from RTA. 
Um, so this will bring us to our final point of discussion. I wholeheartedly agree with the arbitrator's decision here. I, I think that this is not a fair match. It's not within the spirit right. of the bet. We're not really actually seeing two people's heads-up talent uh, get put on display. What we're just seeing is one person trying to learn the game and the other person trying to learn a specific exploitative approach to counter uh, his opposition's mistakes. Uh, I don't think that that is fair, even though I understand it really isn't breaking any necessary terms of service, but like rules and regulations in this game are always going to be very gray and it's going to be kind of a moving target. That's why ethics are so fucking critical. And the fact that we can all agree that this is unethical, I believe is enough to rule in favor of Brandon. Now, I know a lot of the high stakes community, or at least it's been brought to my attention, a lot of the high stakes online community we're very pedantic about this, saying that this absolutely is not cheating. We don't want to label this cheating, and for that reason alone, we would rule against Brandon if given the opportunity to arbitrate this. And I think that I understand where they're coming from, um, especially with the previous precedent set with Isildur and Townsend and those guys. It was very clear that that wasn't quote-unquote cheating. Uh, I, I understand the message that they're trying to get across, and I understand why... Um, by the letter of the law, they would want to um, push a little bit harder against the, the actual ruling that the arbitrators made. Um, but I think that there are a few key points here that are too big to ignore. Number one, all the whole cards were revealed. That's massive, right? It's not the same as just purchasing a database of scraped hands um, for all the reasons that they, they kind of listed, right? There's showdown bias in those hands and uh, you just... You get one-tenth of the information that you would otherwise get. Um, and then the second thing is that where they're very quick to say that this is not cheating, none of them would dismiss that this is ethically uh, wrong, right? And when we're talking about these heads-up bets, the spirit of the bet matters a lot. So breaching ethics, in my opinion, is the same as breaching a TOS. Uh, it's an unwritten TOS, so to speak, right? And obviously, the easiest way from my vantage point to look at this is if you put the person, if you, if you swapped roles, how would the person who breached these ethics feel in return if the same were true of the other side? Right. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's like, it, it's the golden rule at the end of the day, right? Yeah, I mean, in a very like, simple in, way. In a way, right. In a simple way, it's just like, you don't want somebody doing that to you, then why would you do it? Right. So, uh, again, like... Uh, it's not necessarily provable how much the database was used, but just the sheer fact that the access to it was available, in my opinion, is enough of a reason to rule in favor of Brandon. Um, and, you know, to Cole's credit, he, uh, he accepted that ruling and went above and beyond. So not only has he paid back mm -hmm. all of uh, the losses to, to uh, Brandon, but he's also been paying out side bets that... The ruling did not force him to pay, but, you know, ethically, he felt inclined to make people whole on. That's good. Uh, so, you know, speaking with him, it sounds like he is, he's headed on a path uh, of, of redemption. Um, and it seems as though he is interested in, uh, you know, putting this behind him and being an upstanding man, member of the community. And I hope that he does. Uh I, I didn't bring this to light to shame any of the parties involved. I didn't bring it to light because I think that like we should be throwing around scammer and scumbag or anything along those lines. I brought it to light for a couple of, of major reasons. Number one, 
this stuff happens in the shadows all the time and um i think that it's fine that it gets worked out there but i also think it's very important to understand how critical the arbitration process actually is in these sort of matches and why it can't be taken lightly um who we we kind of like allocate to these roles uh you know it, it's a big reason why when we're dealing with high stakes stuff we so quickly do go to guys like phil galfon and etc mm -hmm. but even phil might not might not necessarily always be the most qualified right like this is truly a job for a lawyer when it's all said and done but we don't want to pay the fees and, and things of that nature so it's one of those things where it's like if there were a service available that uh wasn't too costly i think that there is room in the marketplace for this uh and and one of come on chauncey man you're on my keyboard i'm trying to read a tweet here uh one of the actual arbitrators uh from this match is a lawyer and i think actually is kind of like leaning in the same direction he said professional arbitration has long been needed in poker no other industry world uses unqualified arbitrators with so much at stake many lack the knowledge experience and ethical guidelines to properly do the job this case is an example of such an ethical failure uh, although a new fair panel was eventually assembled in this case, it should never have come to that. An arbitrator should not take the assignment if there is even the appearance of potential bias or conflict of interest. All potential conflicts should be disclosed up front. If conflicts arise later, the arbitrator should recuse himself from the case if any party requests it after further disclosure. Neither party should ever be in a position to have to quote-unquote trust that the arbitrator will overcome any potential conflict of interest. While arbitration is a method to handle disputes outside of a legal system, many parallels will exist in the legal system that can provide guidance to an arbitrator. For those reasons, an arbitrator with understanding of the legal system as well as poker is your best bet. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I do think that... So I think that there. this is a great example of how both uh, areas, the letter of the law as well as the spirit of the bet, need to be navigated very delicately. And... Uh, it's why you couldn't just get just a straight up lawyer who knew nothing about poker. And it's why you just can't get a straight up poker player who knows nothing about law. Right. Right. Because the point that the high state guys are making uh, is very letter of the law and probably true. This is not technically cheating. Right. He didn't RTA. He didn't do any of these. He, he developed a strategy, he put in the work and developed the strategy. Now, the work was aided in something that was very unethical mm -hmm. and gave him a major 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 upper hand right um so that's where we come into the spirit of the bet like if he upheld the letter of the law but he ethically broke the spirit of the bet is that enough and this panel of arbitrators ruled yes i personally agree doesn't mean i'm right doesn't mean i'm wrong just giving my opinion um and i think that that's one major point of focus of like why this was a big important story to talk about the other reason why I think it's an important story to talk about is because of the players involved. Like these guys are young. And again, as I mentioned, online poker can be very insulating. So they don't necessarily have better examples to look to, right? Sometimes you just have to go through this shit. But without it being out in the public, the ramification is only monetary. And all of these guys involved are going to make plenty of money through this game moving forward. So it's easy to forget and chalk up this 70K loss as a life lesson learned. It's much more important to understand how critical your reputation is and what's at stake whenever you choose to be ethically compromised in these scenarios. Um, I, I think it's a big point of emphasis to, you know, I'm old now. Like, I'm, I'm the old guard. 
I don't know when it happened. Like something, something happened in the blink <laughs> of an eye where I went from like 30 to 40. Mm-hmm. And over that time, I realized like I'm not in the passenger seat necessarily any longer. I'm not sitting by idly watching Dean eggs, trying to, you know, hold myself to his standards. And like, we're setting that standard now. And honestly, it's becoming younger and younger that you need to be able to step up to the plate and be that, that arbiter of good, right? Like Landon is in a position to set examples at his age. Uh, and I think that this, this kind of shaking out in the public sphere a little bit is another opportunity for these guys to kind of step up to the plate and be able to tell this story down the line, right? Like this all happened for us too, for our generation. It just shook out in, uh, in the two plus two forums and, uh, you know, Bluff Magazine and Card Player and stuff like that, like the to- the Townsend and and stuff like that. And uh, honestly, like we pretty much defaulted the, the arbitration process was the sites themselves. Mm-hmm. We would just look to Phil Tilt and say, like, what do you think? Are we getting banned or not? And if they said no, then we said, like, okay, cool, um, sucks, but like we're not going to give you any money back in this situation, right? Um, I think we have a much more mature and better community now that's able to kind of navigate these and say like, okay, well, it's not just about the letter of the law. Ethics do matter a lot and we should be holding people accountable for that. Um, I think there are a lot of lessons to take from this and hopefully a lot of, uh, I I guess, preventative measures moving forward where these examples are going to kind of stop people from doing this in the, in the, um, in the future. The final reason why I thought this was really important to bring up is because of how bad, how bad of an actor Zenith poker was. Uh, and I don't take that lightly and I understand that this could be misconstrued as me uh, attacking a competitor, but understand I had no idea who they were before this was brought to me. So it, it's not like, I don't know how much they're making in the training space. I don't care. Uh, I only care that people are doing a good job to the community and, uh, doing so with a high ethical standard, right? Especially when we're talking about the trainers, the coaches, the, the people who are influencing uh, the gameplay at, at at the strategic level. It's critical to not cross these lines. It's critical to not be so greedy and selfish that you find, oh my God, no, 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 no. <laughs> that you find yourself in a situation where you're ethically compromised because it's going to earn you 10% of uh, a 10-20 match, right? Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, think about, think about that at the, at the end of the day. They literally put their entire company on the line or like a one-two game, <laughs> right? Basically, yeah. For for whatever the heads-up <laughs> yeah. win rate is of one dollar, mm-hmm. two dollar, right? Right? Maybe ten k. Yeah. Upside was like maybe ten to fifteen thousand dollars, and all it comes down to is what I see there is a man who made a decision on what he believed to be free money to compromise a match because the likelihood of getting caught was so low that the EV of uh, making this decision was nearly fully whatever the expected win rate was, mm-hmm. right? Like he wasn't risking too much. And there should, be, there should be fallout for that. There should be massive community-wide punishment for that, right? Like this is no different than publishing, uh, or I shouldn't say it's no different, but it's, it's worse, um, but it's akin to like publishing pirated material and you know stealing content from other sites for your own personal gain, mm-hmm. shit like that 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 we see all too often in this community. This is obviously worse because it's personalized and it's directed at a single individual, and the uh, the downfall of it is high five figures, low six figures for somebody. And 
you know, for a 5, 10, 10, 20 grinder, like that's, that's substantial. Yeah, you know, that, that's a sure. big part of uh, maybe like his entire quarterly earn. So <laughs> I don't think that we should look at this very lightly and just say like, okay, well, all's well that ends well. The arbitrators ruled for the right party and we move on. Like, no, let's not forget, man. There was a company behind this. A company, not not like a rogue actor, mm-hmm. not just one individual, like an entire company in Zenith Poker that took it upon themselves to leverage their coaching um, databases from previous students against them. Right. Targeting them. Yeah. Right? That's that's crazy. That's fucking crazy, man. Right. It is. Yeah. That's absolutely crazy. Uh, so I, I hope that, you know, anybody who is uh, a part of this community that is interested in training, I, I can't, I can't ever in good faith say anything uh, positive about, and again, like I had no exposure to them prior to this, but yeah. uh, just that coupled with the little bit of backstory that I saw where they were, you know, basically putting pirated, uh, pirated training out on their um, YouTube stream or whatever. Uh, and then there's also another story. A lot of people have told me throughout the forums that anybody who was a part of the overbet the turn uh, discord server um, was banned from Zenith poker training. So anything that they had purchased had just been taken away from them. So if they had purchased, purchased courses in the past or modules or whatever the case may be, and they were found to be a part of the overbet the turn server, they were just banned from the training site. That's wild. Which is insane. Bro, like, That's so it's wild. so crazy. Like, I right. think about how we do business and it's mm-hmm. so opposite. Like, we right. give people so much free shit if they even, know. you know, <laughs> I don't want to, like, get ourselves gamed, <laughs> yeah, but, like, no, right. stop. you know, it's yeah. like, we're never, ever, ever going to be like, no, nah, you know what? You said a mean thing about me on the internet. Fuck you. Yeah. And you get no refund. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, it's, the amount of refunds I've given. <laughs> the the amount of or, or i should say the lack of business ethics as a whole that i see in this space is very jarring to me and i will continue to bring light to situations like this where i see those ethics being violated because it's really important to me that we have people who are operating with the greater good in mind particularly when we're talking about the training space because it it's not zero fucking sum mm-hmm. you know we're not competing against each other where there's only one winner it's it's an entire community where the idea is that we all have different levels of understanding we all have different information to disseminate amongst the crew or amongst the community whatever we all carve out our own little niche of the pie and there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to do so in an unsavory way and we've seen too much of it with the database is being converted to RTA. We've seen too much of it with now coaches exploiting their former students and, you know, doing shit like this. That's so underhanded. It's like, we absolutely have to call this stuff out. That that's the, that really is like the wildest part is that like someone came to you for help. Right. For and help. paid they you. Want, yeah. And paid you for that help. And then you turned around and used the information they gave you against that person. Yeah. Like, like they gave you money for a service and then you also essentially took You're, money out of their pockets. It's like they're double right. dipping. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Yeah. I, I, I'm not here for it, man. Uh, you know, we need more people to speak out about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Put your reviews publicly. Go to Reddit. Go to 2 plus 2. Leave comments here on this video with your experience with any any good or bad or indifferent right like we we truly do need the uh um 
the Yelp of, of poker training mm -hmm. or something along those lines. Um, that's going to do it for us today. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, please be sure to let us know in the comments below. If you haven't already, like, subscribe, become a member. We got some special stuff coming up for you guys for this summer. Don't forget, right. we do have the MTT Tournament Academy. That starts May 24th to the 27th. Uh, it's going to be a little warm-up of strategy before the WSOP begins. Matt Hunt will be leading the way on that. Uh, he will get you involved in all of the ICM. Each day is a different phase of the MTT, uh, culminating in a final table for everyone involved. Finally, tomorrow, we're going to be doing a ladies panel. I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to be joined by Ebony Kenny, Katie Stone, Victoria Livshitz, uh, Lindsay is rad. Sorry, I don't know your last name, Lindsay. Uh, and uh, a couple other members of the Pocket Queens community, all of which who had played in the uh, WPT ladies event at Sherpa with Santa Claus. Uh, so we're going to discuss a little bit of the current state of affairs with... Um, Everything ranging from uh, the, I guess, final table to him re-entering three times to also just like the, the general rhetoric around women in this community as a whole with the Todd Wattellis thing uh, yesterday talking about Lindsay. So be sure to tune in for that. We'll be back here tomorrow at noon Pacific. We'll have the ladies panel. They're going to lead the way. I'm just going to kind of sit back and listen to this one. Uh, we'll see you guys all then. Peace. Peace.